Well, good morning. Um, how to intro, how to intro. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you may have heard people talk about, like, where is a book about this, this, and you, and you can't find the book. Well, and, and they're told, well, write the book. <laughs> um, and just thinking back through my 40-some-odd years, like, difficult, you know, challenging emotions and, th and things. Typically, when I hear about it, it's always in the context of just talking about Jesus, and it's kind of left there. Um, but with us, and I've kind of recognized it to be spiritual bypassing, where, well, yes, you feel this way, but, <laughs> and to rush to the conclusion or to rush you out of that suffering, yet in those two verses, you're like, those two sections of the Bible, how do they, like when's the last time you heard a sermon about the fellowship of his sufferings? <laughs> like what in the world is that? Um, so the Isaiah 53 passage, which if you listen to some people, you know, it's not talking about Christ. Or it wasn't specifically written about him until it was revealed that it was later, but I don't need to get into all that. Um, it was foreshadowing Christ. Um, uh, the, the hymn we're going to do later is, Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Um, Ira Sankey, a good friend of Philip Bliss, the author of this hymn, wrote about uh, Bliss's text. It is said that the word hallelujah is the same in all languages. It seems as though God had prepared it for the great jubilee in heaven when all his children shall have been gathered home to sing hallelujah to the Lamb. The, uh, this general idea is reflected in an experience while at Tezai, an ecumenical uh, community in France. Uh, during one evening prayer service, we had turned around to face the center of the gospel reading, after which we had sang the Te song, Christus Resurrected. Right in front of me was a young woman with Down syndrome. She hadn't turned around, and so we were facing each other as we sang. She couldn't figure out the unfamiliar Latin words, so simply hummed until we reached the final word of each repeated verse, Alleluia at which point she sang loud and clear, or we could say loud and proud. Um, at the beginning of that service, we had been given small candles, and at this point in the service, children were passing the light of Christ from the center Christ candle throughout the church to the thousands of people gathered from around the world. Watching this woman, so often shunned by our competitive, perfect society, Past the light of Christ while singing Alleluia was a powerful reminder that we serve a God who came to stand in the place of all of us. For we are all beautiful but marred children of God. It is for that, it is for this that we praise the Lamb of God, our Savior. Um, so Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I meant to have that as the title up there. Um, 
like we have acquaintances, right? You know, they're not really maybe friends, they're not maybe family, but they're acquaintances, that you're, they're, they're familiar enough that you know who they are. Um, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. The Son of God came. Have you ever just stopped to reminisce on the love of God? Unimaginably simple, yet infinitely complex. God didn't send us his love through a carrier pigeon, an email, and text, or an Uber. He didn't send his love through a chain letter or a clickbait advertisement. He sent the fullness of his love through his own son. Wrapped him in flesh incarnate, embodied in the fragile frame of a newborn. God didn't send his son through a palace, a castle, or any such place of honor and power as he well deserved. He sent his son through the womb of a commoner, made himself of no reputation. His life mission was to fulfill the will of his father, the will to forgive, the will to reconcile, and the will to love. Those were just three of things that came to my head. There's probably 15 more. Um, this will to reconcile was not to be accomplished from, from afar. God simply didn't sign a decree of forgiveness he sent his pre-existing son to be born to live among us in the trenches, in the sorrow of life. Um, Jesus did not run from sorrow. He didn't shelter himself from the human experience. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So how exactly did Jesus approach the human experience? <clears throat> it should be clear from the manner in which Jesus came and lived his life that we could say he was privileging the poor, the destitute, the marginalized, and the forgotten. That's where he spent his time, <laughs> all of his time. Um, he was privileging their understanding and relatability. Um, what is it? The, it's easier for a blind man to enter heaven than a rich man. The rich is being blinded. Um, Jesus' appeal was not to his scholarship, an earthly pedigree, slick words, or even an emotional appeal. Jesus' appeal was to the emptiness and foolishness of man. What do we often say? When you're at the end of yourself, that's when you see God. Those who understand that life apart from God is nothing but vanity, that's who Jesus came to appeal to. Um, the Old Testament, who is man that, that you are mindful of him? Jesus approached the human experience head on. He did not run from hardship and grief. He did not sidestep it. He did not spiritually bypass it. He did not worship it either, but you could say that he embraced it. Jesus knew that every knee would bow to the Father one day. Every hardship, every moment of pain and weakness would eventually bow to the purpose of God and the will of God. Um, God's purpose in all things is to bring glory to himself. The language of God's purpose is love. 
His purpose is carried out through the means of love. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. I don't have a clue what fellowship of his sufferings is. I think that's for each of us to determine of ourselves. Um, I don't think it's saying to like whip yourself on the back as you're climbing up the stairs to a church or anything. It's not being self-deprecating because we have to understand our position in Christ. Um, No one can truly console the grieving mother who has lost her child. Grief is not to be shunned, it is to be experienced fully. Jesus was well acquainted with grief, so how then are we to truly know God if we run from grief? There is much to learn in the processing of grief. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. As we were told in children's time, don't grieve individually for extended periods. That's multitude of counselors. Um, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's easy to being say sometimes you, you mess up and you're grieving your own mistakes or your own sin and that's the last time we want to be around church people <laughs> like when that's exactly the time we need to share with others um, there is an internal processing of grief as well as communal there is a fellowship of his sufferings that can be processed through community worship would Im- uh, excuse me fellowship would imply uh, community When we sit with our grief, a unique opportunity presents itself to truly know God in the fellowship of his sufferings. If Jesus was known as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, but we reject the full processing of grief as negative thinking, um, what Jesus do we actually know, and and what Jesus do we share with others? Oh, he's, he's going to spiritual bypass all, all of your questions, and no, he's not. God's not afraid of our questions. If we continue to fear to grieve, grief will only produce more fear. Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, time to be born, die, plant, pluck up what is planted, time to kill, time to heal, Break down, build up, weep, laugh, mourn, dance. All of the human experience is okay. (laughs) That's what I'm hearing there. And we're not devaluing something because it's not helpful or not positive. We're engaging in the fellowship of his suffering. That we may know him. Uh, One thing Jesus secured through the atonement is the freedom to fully grieve, yet find that hope remains. The audacity of hope. I've been fooling around with writing a book forever, and I actually wanted to use that as a title until I saw that a previous president already used that title. The audacity of hope. 
What place does hope have in a sermon about grief? Is this where the spiritual bypassing comes in? Is this a bait and switch? Does God have a wonderful plan for my life? That's the only cynicism I'm going to use. Um, when grief is rejected, hope starts to decay. When grief is embraced, fully processed, I believe the tears that fall to the ground water the soil that has been seeded with hope. Just like in your garden, the cycle. If we didn't have grief, there would be no hope. Hope is not a uh, decision. It's not positive thinking. It's not a single thought or action. I believe hope is a committed process. Without grief, there is no need for or even a use for hope. What if hope is actually the reflection we see when we process our grief through the love of God? What if hope is actually the reflection we see when we process our grief through the love of God? First Thessalonians, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, <coughs> yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Most of the mothers might recognize that from the great theologian Elsa from Frozen. Unprocessed feelings don't just go away. Um, and I asked for Maynard's permission to do a library illustration. Um, <clears throat> so as I'm walking through the library, I notice a book out of place. <clears throat> the OCD and me. Um, apparently, someone had shown interest in the book and may have inadvertently left it behind. They may have seen that it was written in a language that they didn't understand feelings that we don't understand. Um, the book may have been lacking enough pictures to be interesting. We don't really know. For whatever reason, the book lay discarded, out of place, unable to communicate its purpose to the reader, because they'll think that it's checked out and not there. Um, but then Maynard found the book. He placed it back onto the return shelf. This way it can be processed through the database. <laughs> confirming that it was indeed not checked out and then placed on the cart to return it to the shelf, to return it to its place. So that book being an unprocessed feeling or unprocessed grief, it's not communicating what it needs to communicate if it's not processed. We must not be afraid to acknowledge our own humanity our own misgivings, our own failures, even our regrets. Saying you have no regrets is one of those spiritual bypassings. 
Challenges that are not acknowledged genuinely may go unchecked, causing distraction and impede our ability to connect with our neighbor in their distress. There is never any shame in being genuine or vulnerable. There is risk, yes, but not shame. I think that was from Brene Brown, 10.5. Um, <clears throat> so when we finally acknowledge our feelings and give ourselves permission to feel, I grew up in one of those categories. Like you, just like Elsa, you, you don't feel. Um, basically, I've come to learn feelings are in the car, they just don't have the wheel. Whereas I was growing up, like you, you gotta get them out of the car. Um, same as fear, you don't get fear out of the car, you just put it in the back seat. So when we finally acknowledge our feelings and give ourselves permission to feel, we gain the experiential knowledge of God and the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, in the previous church I was in, they were all, all about the solas, sola scriptura, uh, Bible only. Um, sola scriptura does not apply to knowing God. Did he say that? Um, sola scriptura will teach us about God. But to know him requires action. I just found an article yesterday or, or, or this morning about the history of the word believe. <laughs> um, up until 16, 1700, it was known primarily as an action word, um, as opposed to the intellectual acknowledgement of fact or what we thought was fact. Belief is an action. Um, to know God means that we are honest with our feelings, to allow ourselves to feel them. We do not bypass the human experience any more than Jesus did. For it is only at this point where we recognize the fullness of God and the sweetness of his presence. We do not know what cold is until we have experienced what is hot. The problem of evil, <clears throat> for the philosophical lovers out there, um, I honestly can't say I've ever understood it. Growing up in spiritual bypassing probably makes that the case, but without pain, suffering, heartache, and loss, how would we be able to experience the sweetness of God? How will we ever be able to genuinely experience and appreciate the greatness of the love of God if we haven't already experienced great sorrow and loss? that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Why? Being made conformable unto his death. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Not some, not many, all. All means all, right? <laughs> One of those things. Um, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Like, that's the crux right there for me. I get in trouble when I ask too many why questions. Why, why questions have a tendency to lead you into secondary questions. Um, I wrote down part of the 
thing we said earlier about some people are finding or looking for better questions. One of my heroes is Socrates. <laughs> um, one that was looking for the better question. Beth Mas the Beth best math teacher I ever had never told us anything. <laughs> he, would, he was Socrates. He would say, well, what do you know? Well, I know this. And then what does that show you? <laughs> and you would do it yourself based upon what you knew from somebody asking a better question. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we now, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So if, if I'm spiritually bypassing the difficult emotions and feelings in life, you know, again, what Jesus am I sharing to other people, what comfort am I sharing? Some of us may have grown up in churches that had spiritual malpractice in this very area. Comforting us with a man-made comfort. Comforting us lacking having gone through the trenches that Jesus went through. Um, this, this is what it is to know God. To take on the form of a servant, make yourself of no reputation, suffer through heartache and misfortune in order that we may experience the comfort of God for the purpose of comforting our neighbor. That, that verse that I wrote of the hymn this morning, um, it stings me. <laughs> like stuff just comes out and, and, and it'll read it. And I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to be too preachy, but it's an honest thing. Like, am I using God's favor to bless people or to make myself not have to be around people? Um, suffer from heartache and misfortune in order that we may experience the comfort of God for the purpose of comforting our neighbor. Speaking of neighbor, <clears throat> you didn't think I was going to be able to get through a sermon and not mention Mr. Rogers. You may have already noticed in the back on the uh, music stand is a insert um, from, it's a, uh, um, <clears throat> actually a Fred Rogers Institute I was looking for something he had on grief, and this one came up um, just talking with your kids. <laughs> Imagine that, teaching us when we're young how to deal with the stuff that we need to deal with and not bypass it. Because um, I was looking for something to add in here of the how. I don't claim to know how to grieve. <laughs> like that, that, unfortunately, that's not what part of this is. Um, I'm like setting the stage for it, for whatever it is for you. But <clears throat> this would be a way to kind of lead our kids through it. And um, uh, equally useful for navigating our own inner child <laughs> through past unresolved grief as well. When I reflect on Mr. Rogers' life work, I'm left with the impression that we will not make an impact on this world or gain any influence apart from the kindness we share and the relationships we build. I think he was a perfect example of cultivating the image of God and those around us. The enemy is that which divides to sow discord. The enemy is the pride and the fear that stops us 
from lending a hand across the divide.